Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Will and Angela, for leading a great ministry track and building a great team. Church, thank you for supporting them. Nicholas, thank you for doing a great job at uh, communicating all that's going on. Nicholas is our communications director. Uh, He's been with us for seven years. You've probably not seen him up here very much, but uh, we invited him to help us out with some transitions here and there, so that's always fun. Uh, Yesterday was a beautiful day. Uh, throwing frisbee around in the backyard uh, with our 150-pound St. Bernard. Uh, takes about three minutes to wear her out. So uh, it was beautiful weather. We're thanking God for that. Well, this morning we're going to continue in our series that we began last week called Near and Far. Near and Far is about exploring the conversations that Jesus had with those who were near him, his disciples, and those who were far away, those who have yet to believe. And so this morning we're going to explore a conversation Jesus had with somebody very close to him, and his name is John the Baptist. John the Baptist. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 11, verse number 1. Matthew chapter 11, verse number 1. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. Verse 2, when John, John the Baptist, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? So he sent his disciples, John. John's disciples, he sent them to Jesus with this question. Hey, I'm in prison here. I need some clarification. Things are fuzzy right now. Are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? John the Baptist, I think we would all say, was probably as close to Jesus as you can get. I mean, after all, he was filled with the Holy Spirit from birth, the Bible says. He was the first one to realize that Jesus actually was the Messiah, the the Christ, the Savior. Uh, He was the one to first proclaim him as such. He said, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was the first to have that great revelation after 400 years of silence. He was the one that broke the silence and said, the Messiah is here. He had the privilege of of baptizing Jesus and preaching boldly for Jesus. In fact, at one point he was so bold, he confronted Herod's sin. (laughs) He confronted Herod and said, you shouldn't have taken your brother's wife to be your own wife. And Herod didn't like it and threw him in jail. So now now, uh, John's in jail and uh, he's having his doubts about who Jesus is. He's having his doubts as if he's as near to Jesus, as near to God as he as he once thought he was. He was so sure at one point, but now John is unsure. I don't know if you can relate to that. Have you ever had an experience in life where you felt really close to God? You felt like you really knew him. You were tight with him, right? And then something happens and you begin to wonder, well, maybe I am much farther from God than I think. You know, John was the guy who who stood in front of everybody and he said, you know what? He said, guys, he must increase and I must decrease. But I don't think prison was part of the decreasing plan that John had in mind when he said that. 
So he's wondering, did I totally miss it? Did I totally miss it? Maybe you're at a place in your life today where you never expected to be. You had a dream, maybe as a child, as a teenager, of of what your life would look like and what success would look like. Or maybe uh, when you gave your, your life to Jesus and you became a Jesus follower, a disciple, you had in your mind and in your heart what that would look like to follow Jesus. And the way it's fleshing out is totally different than what you expected. And you're at this place where you're, you're suffering when you didn't expect to suffer. And you're going through hardship you didn't expect to go through. That's John the Baptist this morning. I hope you can relate to that. Listen, you're not alone. You're not alone if that's where you're at. John the Baptist, who was so close to Jesus, yet he felt so far away. So far away. Suffering... We need to know this this morning. Suffering does not separate us from the nearness of God. Suffering does not separate us from the nearness of God. But rather, suffering draws us near to the nearness of God. Last week, we looked at what it is that actually causes us to be near or far from God. And we learned that what causes us to be near to God is our faith. It's not whether we feel near to him or I felt near to him once. I don't feel near to him. That has nothing to do with whether you're near or far from God. Your faith in the shed blood of Jesus has everything to do with whether you're near or far from God. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.12, we have been brought near through the blood of Jesus. So we understand it's the blood of Jesus that brings us near to God. And it's the blood of Jesus that keeps us near to God. One of our small groups this past week, uh, Jim and Brooke Settle, they, their small group kind of took that whole thing even deeper. And uh, Jim, he sent me an email and he goes, man, we've been just, we've been talking about this in our small group all week. And, and here's some thoughts that we came to. And, and I just want to share a few of them with you this morning. He wrote this. He says, because Jesus took the journey for us to be near, we have the privilege of drawing near. We have been brought near through the blood of Jesus so we can draw near. So to be brought near to God through the blood of Jesus is awesome, right? We'll never be cleaner than we already are. We'll never be closer than we already are. But here's what Jim's group discovered. That Jesus has removed every barrier except my willingness to respond to his love. He's removed every barrier for us to be near Accept our willingness to draw near. And so we have been brought near through the blood of Jesus so we can continually draw near. Um, And I want to talk a little on that this morning. See, when we suffer like John suffered, we do one of two things. We either draw near or we pull away. Ask yourself this morning, what do I do when I'm in a place of suffering? What do I do? Do I do I run to Jesus or do I run from Jesus? There's a there's a natural response. There's the the kind of the fight or flight response that's going on there. Am I going to fight for nearness? Am I going to am I going to continue to draw near or am I going to pull away out of offense? John the Baptist, he was in that place of suffering. And this is what he did. He drew near with an honest question. 
to find an honest answer and to build an honest faith. Let's break that down this morning. When you suffer, do what John did. When you suffer, draw near with your honest questions. Draw near with your honest questions. What I love about John the Baptist is um, he teaches us all this morning that it's okay to draw near to Jesus with some very honest questions. And his honest question was simple. Are you the one who is to come or should I expect somebody else? What does that mean? The Jews, they had this language and, and the way they spoke about the Messiah They describe the Messiah or the Savior as the one to come. Are you the one to come? Are you the Messiah? Right. Or should we be looking for somebody else who's the Messiah? Keep in mind, this is the guy that said he's the Messiah. Now he's going, are you the Messiah? (laughs) I'm not sure anymore. Honest question. Here's the greatest preacher in all the world. It's, it's the T.D. Jakes of the first century. John the Baptist making announcements about the Messiah. Right? Now he's off the stage and he's in this jail cell. He's in this place of suffering and everything he said in public, he's doubting in private. Some of you have been on stages. You've been in front of people. You've led small groups. You've said things to your friends. You've said things to your family. You've been been in this public place and you've made statements about God that you believe are true. But today you're doubting those things. And that's okay to ask honest questions. If you don't start with an honest question, you can never come to an honest answer from God. And you can never have an honest or real faith in him. God only deals on the level of honesty and truth. Now, why was John asking this kind of question? And the reason he asked it is because he was experiencing that day a different Jesus than he expected. And I want to ask you this morning, what kind of Jesus did you expect? John expected a different Jesus. He expected a different kind of Messiah. And you can you can read you can read about his proclamations about Jesus and you begin to put the pieces together and you begin to realize that he was expecting a conquering Messiah, not a suffering Messiah. He said at one point, he said to the crowds, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. What's that fire all about? He went on to explain it. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. You see, John's picture, his idea of of what this Messiah would be, would be this last day's Messiah. Who would come in with a sword, who would come in with a scepter, who would come in ruling and reigning, who would come in and and would just would wipe out the Roman Empire and set up the kingdom of God physically on the earth. That's the Messiah John was expecting. So now he's going, are you really the Messiah or should we be looking for somebody else? You see, John was right that Jesus was Messiah, but he was wrong about what kind of Messiah Jesus would be at his first coming. 
John was expecting a conquering Messiah who would rule the world with justice. But instead, Jesus came as a suffering Messiah, Messiah who would save the world by grace. Big difference. But church, make no mistake about it this morning. He will come as the conquering king. He will one day rule the world with justice at his second coming. Make no mistake about it. There will be a time where he'll bring the fullness of his kingdom and he will rule over all creation in the earth. And the Bible says every knee will bow at that time and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That day is coming. The second coming of Jesus Christ is coming. The first coming of Jesus has come. And John had it a little confused there. He thought the first and second coming, boom, all happening at the same time. He's going to set up his rule and reign on the earth, right? And there's going to be no more suffering, no more pain, no more dying, no more prison. And now John's in prison. So John encountered a different Jesus than he expected. What kind of Jesus did you expect? When you got saved, you probably thought conquering king. He's going to come in and he's going to take away all my problems. He's going to take away all the suffering. Life's going to be good. It's the abundant life. Come on. How many of you grew up with that mentality of Jesus? Right? Life's going to, life is terrible before Jesus. Life is great now. Everything's smooth sailing. Right? I had that kind of Jesus in my mind. So John is saying, if you're if you're the Messiah, why am I in prison? Why am I suffering? And he began to doubt the nearness of God. He began to doubt, is the kingdom of God really near? Is the kingdom of God even here? And he begins to ask this honest question. Listen, it's okay to ask God. It's okay. What's the most honest question that you've ever asked God? Met somebody after service and he said, you know, I don't know why my marriage ended after 25 years. And I've asked God, why? God, why did it end? And God showed me some things. He answered me. And he said, you know what? And then he went into it and I won't go into it. But God showed him some things. And he learned some things. But if he didn't ask the honest question, he would have never got the honest answer. So when you suffer, draw near with honest questions. Secondly, draw near to find honest answers. Here's the honest answer that Jesus gave. Jesus replied in verse number four. He said, he said to the disciples of John, go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. Go back, report what you hear and what you see. He said, the blind receive sight. The lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. In other words, Jesus is telling John's disciples, go back to John and don't tell him necessarily what you hear me saying. Tell him what you see. Tell him what I'm doing. Tell him that I'm doing the very things that scripture said that the Messiah would do. When Jesus went to his hometown in Nazareth, in one account, he actually went into the synagogue and he stood up and he opened the scroll and began reading in Isaiah. And he read these words and you can find them in Luke chapter 418. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. That's Messiah talk. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me 
The Messiah is called the Christ or the anointed one. He has anointed me as Messiah to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus is quoting Isaiah here. And then he said, and then he said this, he said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, I'm the Messiah. So Jesus's reply to John was, I'm doing this, 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 and this. That proves I'm the Messiah, right? But still, if that's all that Jesus would have said, that would not have been enough for John. It still would have been confusing to John. Why? Because if he's the conquering king, if he is this, if he's the Jesus who who brings freedom for the prisoners, right, and sets the oppressed free, then why am I in prison? In other words, John would have asked, he would have, he would probably ask the question, listen, why, why have, uh, why do you, why is God delivering everybody else but me? Right? <laughs> Think about it for a moment. What do you do? And this has happened to all of us. What do you do when God's healing everybody but you? Right? Somebody gets up, tells their healing testimony and everybody goes, yeah, but in, inside you're going, when's it my turn? When's it my turn? You're in a prison. You feel held captive. When's it my turn to get delivered? You know, and if Jesus would have just left it with, you know, I set the prisoners free. I set the captives free. John would have been a little, what about me? But he didn't leave it there. Listen, if if you're going to ask honest questions to God, you've got to brace yourself for an honest answer from God. Why? Because you may not get the answer that you're expecting. Job had all these questions for God. And then when God replied to him, he said, brace yourself. Brace yourself, Job. And then God went on and gave him this answer, but he didn't answer Job's question. He didn't answer the he didn't answer the why. He only answered the who. So notice this last word to John the Baptist here. Jesus goes through again. He goes through and explains all the things that he's doing. And then Jesus says this to John in verse number six. He says, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. In the New King James Version, he puts it like this. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. In other words, John, don't be offended if I'm not the Messiah that you thought I I was going to be. John, don't be offended if I don't do the things that you expected me to do. See, this this language, when Jesus says, don't be offended because of me, kind of covers it all, doesn't it? So if I haven't set you free or if I haven't healed you yet, right? Don't be offended by Jesus. If Jesus isn't the Jesus you thought Jesus would be, don't be offended by Jesus. Don't be offended by Jesus. Don't be offended when he gives you an honest answer to your honest question. In Acts chapter 12, we won't read it, but I'll just abbreviate it. There's this story about Herod, how he begins to arrest the Christians that are in the area. He had beheaded James already. and Now he, he's captured Peter and he puts Peter in jail. This is Acts chapter 12 and... And the Bible says that while Peter was in prison, the church, they were meeting in this house and they were earnestly praying for Peter. And as they're earnestly praying for Peter, an angel 
walks into that prison where Peter is and the shackles fall off of Peter and Peter and the angel, they get up and the angel says, put your clothes on, Peter. Good idea. How many of you know, um, God is a God of modesty. So put your clothes on, Peter. And then they walk out together, this angel and Peter, they walk out of this prison. They walk past 16 guards. They get outside the prison, prison break, and, and they get outside. And as soon as they get outside, the angel disappears. And Peter realizes, man, this isn't a dream. This is a real deal. I'm free. And so what does he do? He goes to the house where these believers are praying and he knocks on the door. And the servant girl answers the door. She doesn't open the door. She answers the door. Who is it? And Peter begins talking and she recognizes Peter's voice. She goes, it's Peter. She runs back to everybody. He's praying, guys, stop the prayer meeting. Peter's at the door. They said, you're out of your mind. It must be his angel. No, she insisted he's at the door. And Peter keeps knocking. The Bible said, finally, they answered the door. And when they saw Peter standing there, the Bible says they were astonished. (laughs) They were astonished. And they were astonished. Why? Because God chose to deliver that day. We get astonished when bad things happen to us. They were astonished because God delivered that day. They were surprised to see him because they assumed he was dead. They said it must be his angel. You know, we forget that at this point in Acts chapter 12, John the Baptist had been beheaded Stephen was stoned to death. James was just beheaded. And now Peter is in jail and the church is praying. Do you see a pattern going on here? They're getting ready to call the mortuary to prepare for the next funeral. And so they were astonished to see him alive. But we're astonished. We're surprised when bad things happen to good people like us. We got to get a theology of suffering that's biblical. We're surprised by challenges. We're surprised by difficulty. We're surprised when Jesus is not the Jesus we expected. And we're surprised when he gives us an honest answer like, don't be offended if you don't understand what's going on. We're surprised. But first Peter chapter four, verse 12, Peter says this, dear friends, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised by the fiery trial that has come upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Peter's telling this church, he's saying, hey, don't be surprised, church, when difficulties come. They shouldn't be strange to us. They shouldn't be surprising to us. It's like Peter's almost saying, what did you what did you sign up for? What kind of Jesus did you expect when you signed up to follow Jesus? You didn't join some little game. You joined an army. You know, can you imagine a soldier? He's going, he goes out there and in, into live combat, right? And, and, and these bullets come flying by him. He runs back to his commanding officer. He goes, man, what's going on out there? They're shooting with real bullets. Is it that paintball? You know, what's the commanding officer going to say? Well, what did you expect? This is a warfare we've engaged in. We have an enemy. We're not playing a game. This isn't fantasy football. We're playing the game. We're in the game. (laughs) Sorry, guys. (laughs) See, Jesus said, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. See, if if we're going to follow Jesus, our lives are going to have to look a little bit like Jesus. 
And, and, I, and I know this isn't a popular song that we sing or theology that we preach, but Jesus saw a lot of pain, and a lot of suffering and a lot of miracles, too. We want to preach that other part. Let's get the miracle part. Let's just pass over the pain and suffering part. We love to ask the question, oh, God, why me? Why is this happening to me, God? God, life isn't fair. And can I tell you this morning, you better believe life's not fair. And you better be grateful that life's not fair. <laughs> you woke up in a bed this morning. You better believe life's not fair. And be grateful. Right? You woke up with food in your house today. Be grateful that life's not fair. You woke up with a Bible on your shelf. Be grateful life's not fair. You woke up this morning with the freedom to come to a church and worship God without persecution. Listen, life's not fair. Be thankful. What if we started? What if we started asking God, God, why me? Why me, God? Why do you allow good things to happen to bad people like me? Listen, we should be surprised by the good things more than the bad things. We don't deserve the goodness of God. We don't deserve it. Here's a question our small groups will be asking. How has life been unfair to you in a way that you can thank God for? How has life been unfair to you in a way that you can thank God for? We have so much to be thankful for. Listen, when you suffer... Draw near to God with honest questions. Draw near to God to receive an honest answer. And draw near to God to build an honest faith. A real faith. How many of you know there's a lot of phony faith out there? A lot of phony faith. A lot of phony faith. I've got some really good friends who, uh, a couple that I know very well, when their young son was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, and he's got to wear the insulin pump the rest of his life, Right? He has a, a chronic uh, disease, uh, a lifetime disease. And this is terrible news for parents to receive about their young child. I think he was maybe three years old. And so they brought their son to the church for prayer. Our son has type 1 diabetes. Will you pray? We're going to believe God for a miracle. And the person praying with them said, your son doesn't have type 1 diabetes. <laughs> is that faith? Is that faith? Didn't Abraham, right, without wavering in his faith, the Bible says, he acknowledged that his body was as good as dead. Listen, if you're going to experience a miracle, you got to first admit you need one. Faith doesn't deny reality. It just believes there's a greater reality that can overcome your current reality. But it's not denying what's going on. See, real questions lead us to real answers that bring about real faith. I like what Bill Johnson said about faith. He said, he said, faith is supposed to be normal for believers. That's why we're called believers. It's supposed to be the normal thing for us to believe. We hear the word of God. We read about the nature of God. And what happens is we believe it. We believe that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. See, it's normal for us to believe. And it's normal for unbelievers to not believe. 
So the normal pattern for us is, I believe. I believe. We don't walk by what we see anymore. We walk by faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. There's a certainty that we have without seeing, without knowing, without feeling. That's faith. And Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Many times we spend a lot of our, our efforts and our money to change the way we feel. And it's a huge waste of time and a huge waste of money. And what happens is, is when we spend so much time and money and trying to change the way we feel, we, we move into addictions and abuses. That's what happens. But believers, we're called to, to walk different. We're called to walk by faith and not by sight. Galatians chapter 2.20 The life I live in this body, I live by faith. I live by faith. I live by faith. God doesn't give us faith so we can control Him. God gives us faith so we can trust Him. But we live by this faith. Every day we live by this faith. God, I don't see you. But I live by faith. You're there. God, I don't feel near to you. But the Bible says by the blood of Jesus, I'm brought near. Therefore, I'm near to you today. I believe I'm near. God, I'm in prison today, but I believe you're the Messiah. I believe that you're near. I believe you can deliver me. But God, I believe if you don't deliver me, you're still the Messiah. And I will not be offended by you, Jesus. I believe. I believe. David said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. See, everybody walks through the valley. Everybody walks through the valley, but not everybody walks through it without fear, without fear of evil. Those who walk through the valley without the fear of evil are those who finish the verse and say, for thou art with me. (laughs) Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. How many of you know you don't need a a comforter when you're comfortable? You don't need a comforter when you're comfortable. And as long as we're comfortable, we don't draw near to God. We don't call on the comforter. We don't call on the Holy Spirit to walk through this valley with us. Listen. The valley of shadows is a place of nearness to God. Nearness doesn't separate us from the or or suffering doesn't separate us from the nearness of God. Suffering draws us near to the nearness of God. Paul said it. He talked about how this deep fellowship that he had when he shared in Christ's sufferings. I don't know about you this morning, but um, I'm in a season where I don't feel God. I don't feel his presence. Right. I don't feel his nearness. I'm walking through a valley that's dark and it's filled with shadows and I don't see things clearly. And a lot of times we want to say, well, you know, that's really abnormal. Maybe not. Half the Psalms are valleys. Half the Psalms are valleys. Half the Psalms are a demonstration of of David going through a very dark place, but he's confessing, God, you're with me. Right. We're going to get through this thing together. 
But I'm in this, this weird place where, man, I read the Bible and I, I feel nothing. But by faith, I still open the Bible every day and I read it. Whether I feel it or not. Right? I'm going to just keep going. I'm going to keep reading. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to go to the prayer meeting. I'm going to go to the small group. I'm going to go to church. And you may go, the prayer meeting, church, the Bible, all this. It's doing nothing for me. And I would argue with that. And I would say, yes, it is. It's demonstrating that you have faith. Because you're walking by faith and not by your sight. If I don't feel it, I'm going to go to a different group. If I don't feel it, I'm going to go to a different church. If I don't feel it, I'm going to jump into a different relationship. If I don't feel it, I'm going to be offended by Jesus. Jesus said, blessed are those who are not offended by me. Maybe you're in that season where you don't feel God. Sometimes we go from crisis to crisis, don't we? And I think what God wants us to discover is He wants us to discover Christ in the crisis. A lot of times we want to be delivered from the crisis. What if, what if, instead of being delivered from the crisis, we really discover Christ in the crisis? Because here's what I know about crisis. As soon as you get out of one, you enter into another one. (laughs) So you kind of live. Your life is just a series of crises, series of valleys that you're just going to go through. And if we're always trying to get out of the valley and trying to get out of the crisis and get the deliverance, we're going to miss Christ our whole life. I want to find him in the crisis. Here's what I love, what Jesus said about John. He didn't rebuke John for his honest questions, for doubting the nearness of God. In fact, he did just the opposite. And after he encouraged John, he he then turned to the crowd that was listening to the whole thing. And he said, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? Did you go out to see a man who was like a reed blown in the wind? Just kind of, you know, just just ups and downs, roller coaster kind of guy. Just did you go out into the wilderness to see a man like a reed blown in the wind? No. What did you go out to see? You went out to see a prophet more than a prophet. He's the prophet who was the forerunner of Christ. Then he said something. He goes, of all those who've been born of women, there's no one greater than John. So he's, he's lifting John up and he's saying, John had an honest question. John had some honest doubts about the nearness of God. But there's no one born of women that are greater than John. <laughs> Don't you love that about Jesus? Everybody else is throwing John under the bus. He used to be a platform preacher. Now they're throwing him under the bus. Jesus is pulling him out from under the bus and he's saying, there's no one greater than John. And you know what that encourages me today? Because listen. Even the greatest people in the kingdom of God have doubts. Even the greatest people in the kingdom of God have questions. And God is saying, it's okay. You could still be great in the kingdom of heaven, even if you have doubts. So don't beat yourself up. God's pulling you out from under the bus this morning. And he's saying, it's okay. It's okay. Let's do what John did. Because we've been brought near by the blood of Jesus, let's draw near with our honest questions to find some honest answers so we can build an honest faith. Let me pray with you. God, the more we know you, the more we don't know you. 
God, I imagine that as many people that are here today, there are quite a few that um, expected a different Jesus when they said yes to you. And they're encountering an unexpected Jesus, a different Jesus. And they're in a valley, they're in a place of suffering, they're in that um, place that uh, doesn't make any sense. And I pray for them right now. God, I pray that you'd strengthen them. God, I pray that you would increase their faith, increase my faith, God. And God, we just confess to you this morning that we will not be offended by a Jesus we don't understand. We will not be offended when we don't get the answers that we are expecting. But we'll choose to walk in faith. We'll choose to follow you and we'll choose to say like Job, though you slay me, yet will I follow because you're worthy of following. And if you would all just stand to your feet here as we close. Now that's you today and you, you can identify with John. You're in a place of suffering. I want you to lift your hands just like I'm lifting my hands. And it's a sign of surrender. It's saying, God, I'm not going to be offended. I'm not going to be offended. I don't understand, but I'm not going to be offended. And God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you today. Because God, it's faith that pleases you. It's faith that pleases you. So I put my faith in who you are and your word, God. I trust, God, that whatever valley that I am in, you're going to take me by the hand and you're going to walk me through it. And you're going to bring bring glory to your son through it in some way. And that's all that matters. That's all that matters. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to say, I believe. I believe. I believe. Not I feel. How do you feel today? Nah, it's a bad question. (laughs) What do you believe? What do you believe? Feelings are important. Feelings are meant to be felt, but they're not meant to be trusted. We walk by faith and not by sight. Our prayer workers are going to be available. If you'd like prayer today. If you're here today um, and you are, you are far from God, you have not put your faith in Jesus, I'm inviting you today, please take some time, five minutes after service, find a prayer worker, humble yourself, let them know you're far from God, you want to be right with God today. God bless you. Have a great week in Jesus.